0: Grab your Bible and go with me to Malachi chapter 1, Malachi chapter 1. If you don't know where that's at, go to the book of Matthew and just back up, all right? It's the last book in the Old Testament. I wanted to show you a picture. Last Sunday, we prayed for Kevin and Bethany White. Uh, Bethany uh, took off on Thursday for Africa, and she has uh, safely arrived uh, there, and uh, she has met the kids and begins this journey of a few weeks of of being together. And then, Lord willing, uh, they'll be with us very soon. Let me say, as your pastor, you bountifully blessed them last Sunday in your offering. And I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. And they express their appreciation as well uh, for your part in this journey for them and the White family expanding. Continue to pray for them. Uh, She'll be there for about a month. Kevin will be leaving here in uh, maybe another week or so and going over and then bringing the kids back. And we're excited that our church has a heart uh, for adoption and orphan care and that the Lord moved in the white family's heart to do this. And so you remember them as God brings them uh, to your mind. Malachi chapter 1. Our daughter uh, Becca has been visiting with us for a few days and we were talking on Friday and uh, I told her that I was starting a new series in Malachi today, and her response was not, oh, good, Dad, you know, I'm looking forward to it. Her response was, on Mother's Day, the life of a preacher with her kids, right? Uh, yes, on Mother's Day. I'm not going to preach on the wrath of God or anything like that today. Uh, although we might mention that in a minute, I don't know. But uh, I'm starting a new series in the book of Malachi for a few weeks, and I've entitled this series True Hearts in Troubled Times. Will you say that with me on the screen? True Hearts in Troubled Times. True hearts in troubled times. And we're going to walk verse by verse through the book. Today is just really kind of an introductory sermon, if you will, to lay the foundation. I'm going to go ahead and tell you ahead of time. I need your best listening today, okay? I need your best ears. Today's sermon is just a tad bit heavy, all right? I hope that I'll make good application and that you'll leave here with a better understanding of the book. But uh, today's sermon is just a little bit heavy, and so I'm going to need you to be alert and awake. I was actually praying for a sunny day so you wouldn't be sleepy, and look what we got. But we're going to look at the first five verses of Malachi. If you'll read them with me. Uh, we'll get uh, right into the sermon, all right? Malachi chapter 1 and verse 1. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet, I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says, Edom being the Edomites, descendants of Esau, if they say we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says they may build, but I will tear down. And they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this and you shall say, would you say it with me together? Great is the Lord beyond, one more time. Great is the Lord. God, you are great. You are greatly to be praised You're our creator, the sovereign God of the universe. You're ruling and you're reigning today. You have created us. You've chosen us as your people. We thank you for your work of grace in our lives that Tim and Emily just sang so beautifully about running into the arms of grace. Just so many So many words and the songs that we sang today just fit so perfectly into the message. God, as we live in a world today that's mixed up and messed up and confused and, and is certainly running as fast as it can away from God, away from the principles of God, there's a great questioning. As your word teaches us, there would be a great falling away. As we see that happening right in front of our eyes, I pray for your people that we would have true hearts. As your word says that we would love you with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind. And then that we would love one another. We would love our neighbor as ourselves. As we walk through the book of Malachi for the next few weeks, an Old Testament book 2,400 years ago written through the prophet Malachi, the words of God. I pray that we would all embrace the fact that it is fresh bread for our souls. That it is clear. There's, there's deep understanding and great, great learning and great truths in this book for us today. So we pray that you would grow us up, that you would draw us closer to you, Give us a deeper understanding of who you are and who we are and the kind of lives that you want us to live. Holy Spirit, we pray for power and illumination. There would be a spirit of alertness in this room. There would be a spirit of learning, of understanding that draws us closer to you. And I pray this in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. Amen. I don't think there's anyone in the room that would disagree with me that we are living in some interesting days, some interesting times. As Christians, we're serving God in his kingdom, in his work, in what seems to be, or at least feels like, some tumultuous days. As parents, we are rearing our children, hopefully as we prayed a few minutes ago in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. We're trying our best to teach them to follow Christ, to follow Jesus, to love him, to serve him, and to follow him. And we are doing that in a world that we often say, I never face the things that my kids are facing. It's not that the day in which we live is new as far as troubled times go, because troubled times actually began in the Garden of Eden. Read your Bible, Genesis one Two and three. When Adam and Eve took of the fruit and they disobeyed God, the world and mankind immediately was cursed with brokenness and with sin. Troubled times, I believe, is an adequate description for the day in which we live, and it certainly was true in the times for the book that we're going to be studying for the next few weeks. Let me challenge you for just a minute by saying it's very, very important that when we study our Bible, that we have a healthy process for approaching God's word. I'm often asked, Pastor, why are there so many different beliefs? Why are there so many different denominations? Why are there so many different views? I believe one of the great contributing factors to that is that many times we have had unhealthy biblical interpretation processes. We call that hermeneutics that's the art and the science of how we study the bible now don't ask me to spell that word i just know the word okay hermeneutics it's how we study our bible what god says in his word is of utmost importance please hear me what you feel like god said or what you think god said is not nearly as important as what god said You can read something in the scripture that God very clearly said and you can take it and you can twist it and you can turn it and you can make it or attempt to make it say what you want it to say. But at the end of the day, God has spoken and his word is forever settled in heaven. So as we approach the Bible, I like to use a very simple process of reading every chapter and studying every passage. It's this simple approach of the who, the what, the when, the where, and the why. If you have my little study guide that I put in the worship guide to jot some notes down on today, it has that in there. The who, the what, the when, the where, and the why. Can I just lay a quick foundation for you with those questions about the book of Malachi? All in favor, wave at me, okay? All right, let's start with the who of the book of Malachi. It begins in the very first words of the book. It says, the oracle of the word of the Lord. In other words, God is speaking. Now, as you read your Bible, there are certainly words written about God. The Bible describes for us God's nature, his character, his interaction with man, his attributes. And then there are other places in the Bible where God is quoted. It's like God is directly speaking. And you'll find that in the book of Malachi. In 47 of the 55 verses, they are in quotation marks that are direct quotes where God is directly speaking. Now we know that he's speaking throughout the entire Bible. But I think you understand what I'm saying, that these are the words, the quotes from God Almighty. Secondly, we see, as far as the who, we see who, the, who God is speaking to. He is speaking to the nation of Israel, his chosen people. Now, let me give you a little history in your mind, if I could. 605 B.C., B.C., meaning before Christ, The people of God are invaded by the Babylonians, they're exiled out of the land, and they're taken to Babylon. History says that in 586 BC, they actually destroyed the temple where they offered sacrifice and worshiped God. They were in exile for about 70 years in total. Now, as we, as we think about their exile, there's something that happened and you really can kind of get a, a a more clearer picture. If you read the book of Nehemiah, how many of you would say uh, you're more familiar with the book of Nehemiah than you are Malachi, right? You think about Nehemiah, that was like two of you. Y'all awake? you're like, I don't know if I am or not. Okay. Y'all remember, y'all remember Nehemiah came back and rebuilt the walls in Jerusalem around the city. He did a miraculous thing. He did it in 52 days. What do we learn about Nehemiah in Nehemiah chapter 1? What was his job at the time? It says that he was the cupbearer for the king of Persia. So Nehemiah had the job of making sure that no arsenic or drano got in the king's cup. Okay? Whatever he drank out of, it was his job to make sure he didn't get poisoned. Now, his job was actually broader than that. He was actually an advisor to the king. But when he would come before the king bearing the king's cup, he was, he was taught, commissioned, that you're never to be sad, okay? You're never to come in front of the king and do anything that would trouble him or bother him. Uh, history records that some were actually killed because they made the king sad, okay? The king holds all of this power And so you're supposed to be bright and cheery and bubbly and positive when you come in front of the king. But on this particular day, the king looks at Nehemiah and says, why is your face so sad? Why are you so downtrodden? You got to get the tension in that moment, okay? And Nehemiah looks at him and says, I've heard that the city, my hometown has been destroyed and that the walls are flat on the ground. You know the rest of the story. The king of Persia commissions him and sends him back to rebuild the walls. Now, how did that happen? The Persians had defeated the Babylonians. And that had paved the way for the people to come back to their homeland. Now, when we read and study the book of Malachi, the people have been back in their land about a hundred years. The Persians are the ones ruling and reigning. In your Bible, in verse number 8, uh, God makes a reference. We'll see this next week as he's interacting with the priests who are offering inappropriate sacrifices to him. God says to them, hey, why don't you try that type of behavior to the governor and see how well that works? Now, why did he say that? The people at this time were very oppressed. There was a lot of poverty in the land. The Persians were bearing down on the people of God they were confiscating their property nehemiah chapter 5 talks about a poverty in the land there was a famine in the land many people were living in debt slavery to the government they were the government was stressing god's people out if you add to that the condition of their worship the spiritual climate in the land the temple has been rebuilt 515 bc the temple is rebuilt in jerusalem and so now we fast forward and we're somewhere in the 400s in time okay the sacrificial system is back in practice the people are back at home the walls have been rebuilt a hundred years back in their homeland and what we find is that the people's love and passion and thanksgiving for god it has waned their hearts have become cold their hearts become indifferent. Even the priests, the priesthood, have become corrupt. There's lethargy among the people. We're talking about the who, of the book of Malachi. Do you get the picture? The people of God are back home. It's troubled times, it's hard times. They're trying to survive, they're trying to just have enough to eat and live their hearts have gotten cold. They feel beat down. They've drifted from God and God sends the who of the book of Malachi. God sends a prophet named Malachi. Now watch Malachi is the last prophet of the old Testament. There are 12 minor prophets. He's the last one. As a matter of fact, Malachi is the last one to speak to the nation before what we call the intertestamental period. That is the gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament where God is completely silent for 400 years. The next person that comes on the scene is this crazy looking dude that comes out of the wilderness with camel's hair. The Bible describes him, right? And he's got a diet of... Locust and wild honey. And his name is John the Baptist. Malachi talks about, we'll see it in a few weeks. Malachi talks about John the Baptist in chapter 3. But let's rewind. Here's Malachi. His name means messenger. He is a messenger from God. Now, through the centuries, that's kind of caused some people to question. The word messenger there is also translated in the Bible for angel. How many of you read in the book of Revelation the seven letters to the seven churches? Every one of them begin by saying unto the angel of the church of Ephesus, to the angel of the church of Philadelphia. We know that that actually was to the pastor of the church, not a white angelic being. Okay, an angel is translated messenger, Malachi's name be messenger. So some have said that an angel delivers this uh, this message to the people. But well, we believe in this man named Malachi. Malachi, we know nothing about him, about his life. He's not mentioned anywhere else in the scripture except for this particular book. Now let's move real quick to the what. What is he writing about? As we walk through this book, Malachi is known as the book of disputes. okay. Seven disputations in the book of Malachi. Now, what are those disputes? You're going to see this this morning as well. The dispute is between God and his people. Seven times. And that's what he's writing about. When was this book written? It was written in the 400s. It was written where? In Israel, of course, to God's people. And and importantly for us today, why was this book written? This is so important, I believe, It is an application for the church of God today. God is showing them that in some ways they're doing their own thing. You're just over here doing your own thing. And in other ways, you're going through the motions. You're going through the religious motions. But your heart is far from me. Now, can I get a witness in the house today that that's easy for us to do? Sometimes in your life, you're over here doing your own thing and you're not doing God's will for your life. At other times in my life, I have been going through the motions, kind of putting on a front, doing things that God has told me to do, but my heart is far from him. You'll find that theme throughout the Old Testament. God has said in multiple places, you're offering offerings to me and the incense makes me sick. You're singing songs to me and I don't want to hear it anymore. I want to plug my ears up. That's what God says in the word. You're talking about my ways and you're you're gathering together and I don't even want to attend your church. And the reason is your heart, your heart is not right. Your heart is far from me. I read this summary statement. I thought it was so good. I wanted to share it with you. Here's a good summary statement for the book of Malachi malachi's prophecy indicts the religious leadership of the day now next sunday i'm going to skin pastors alive i'm kidding would y'all laugh good grief i am one i'm not going to skin myself no in the next section in verse six on down he begins to address the behavior of spiritual leadership He begins to address what the priests are doing and how they're leading the people. And so he indicts the leadership and then he chides God's people for their spiritual apathy, their skepticism, and their cynicism concerning God's plan for the future. Now, here's what I want you to see. This is a book from the past. It's 2,400 years ago, but I promise you it is a book for the future. You have to understand, as we jump into 2, 3, 5 for just a minute, you have to understand that God is writing to his people. Who are his people? His people are the ones that he has chosen. He's entered into covenantal relationship with. If you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you've been born again, your heart has been changed, you've been forgiven of your sins, then you know Jesus said at the Last Supper when he took the cup, that he was going to be entering into a new covenant that would be purchased with his blood. So today, if you're a child of God, as they sang about just a minute ago, if you really are a child of God, you've been born again, you too, just like the nation of Israel, you are in a covenantal relationship with God. And God says in his word in the book of Deuteronomy to his covenantal people, The book of Deuteronomy is law. It's a book of covenants. And he says right off the bat in chapter 6 that you, my people, are to love me with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Your heart, your affections, the seat of your emotions is to be set on me. When Jesus came in Matthew chapter 22, he reiterated and repeated Deuteronomy chapter 6. He said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, all your soul and all your mind and you should love your neighbor as yourself. Please hear me today church. It's not God's plan and pattern for our lives to have a divided heart. You can't have a 50% love for the world and a 50% love for him. God wants our hearts to be set on him to have a true heart for him while we live in troubled times. That is the backdrop and the setting of the book of Malachi. Let's jump into the text really quick. If you're going to have a true heart set on him, if your heart is truly set on the Lord, you've got to understand that God is gracious enough that he is still speaking to us. First of all, he is speaking to us. Just as Malachi speaks a prophetic word, the oracle of God to his people 2,400 years ago, God is still speaking to us today. Now, you may say, Pastor Tim, I've never never heard God speak. Then you've never heard the Bible read out loud. Because when I read Malachi 1, 1 through 5 a minute ago, you were listening to God speak out loud because he's given us his word. How many of you know you're, you've been around church or you've been around the Bible enough to know that we're living in some, some troubled days and we need to hear a word from the Lord? We need to hear a word from Scripture. And, and it's not a new word. It's not like we need a new revelation. It's not like we need a 67th book of the Bible, okay? We don't need a new word. We just need to hear a fresh word. A fresh word from the Lord. And I, I believe that's why God led me to the book of Malachi because I believe the church needs to hear a word from the Lord. The word oracle there in verse number one is a prophetic word. It is a word of the king telling his bugle player or his trumpet player to blow the horn, get everybody's attention. I'm about to speak. You need to listen up and you need to hear what I have to say. And you agree with me today, that's exactly what God is doing. God is saying, I want you to sit down and I want you to listen. I'm speaking. I'm speaking a word to you. And maybe that word for you is a word that you need to change the way you're living. You need to change the way you're thinking, change the way you're worshiping, change the way you approach God in your relationship with him. I love to hear uh, Craig Rochelle' his podcast on leadership. I was listening to him the other day, and he said this. He said, if you don't change how you think, how you lead, what you do and don't do, your past assumptions will limit your future potential. Now, that's, a, that's kind of a leadership kind of a quote. If you're not willing to change, if you're not willing to evaluate what you do and you don't do, he's saying you're going to fall into a rut where your assumptions are going to keep you from moving forward for God, you're going you're to limit yourself and how much you can grow. And I think that's kind of what God's doing here in the book of Malachi. He's saying to his people through Malachi, if you don't stop it, if you don't stop it and think about what you're doing, if you don't stop and change what you're doing and think about what you're not doing, what you're going to do for your life and the nation and your family is you're going to limit future blessing. Now, I'm going to be Captain Obvious. How many of you want God's best in your life? How many of you want his blessings on your life? If you don't, you're just kind of lethargic and apathetic right now. You you want God to bless your life and your family and and everything, right? Your job and your health and, and your ministry, your kingdom. You want God to bless that. And you don't want to do anything to limit that. If that's truly your heart, then you got to be willing to stop and listen. Am I speaking to any parents in the room today that would like to stand and give us a word of testimony about how much you enjoy when your kids ignore you? (laughs) I can see it on your face. So you'd like to give a word, right? None of us, none of us. Not that our kids would ever do that. Some are over here. <laughs> Parents, when you, when you speak a word of instruction or correction, what do, you want, what do we want our children to do? We want them to listen, right? Would you stop it? Don't walk past me. Look me in the eye. Give me your best attention. I've got something I want to say to you. And I believe that is exactly what God is doing for the church. Please hear me if you're a guest today. Please, please. I want you to know that we believe with all of our hearts that God has revealed to us and given to us everything we need in his word. That we have 66 books that are the direct revelation of God. That he wants us to read and to study. He wants us to stop and and listen and and to have an, have an ear for him to listen to what he is saying to us. Why? Because he wants his children to have his best and his blessings in our life. If you have a true heart set on God, you've got to hear him say from his word, child of God, I want you to love me. I want you to love me. I want you to love me with all your heart. Here's what I know. I'm speaking to some people today that love politics more than God. Amen. You love your possessions. You love your pleasures. Maybe even you love people. It might be your children, your grandchildren that have become an idol in your life. And it's not that we're not supposed to love them Is that we're supposed to love God supremely. I'm just asking you today. I'm not judging you. I'm just asking you. Do you really love God? Are you listening to him? Your father, your creator. Are you listening to him? Are you obeying him? Because I promise you, God is speaking. Real quickly, secondly, look at verse number two. Would you let these words marinate in your soul? God says to his covenantal people, I have loved you. Is it, is it not wonderful today to know that God loves you? I mean, really. To think for just a minute that the God of the universe loves me. God says to his people, I have loved you. He affirms to them what he has already told them and already shown them. Look on the screen, Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse number 7. He said, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. Can I kind of interpret that a little bit? He was saying, hey, it wasn't like you were the biggest and the strongest and the prettiest, God was saying, you were small in number, easy to conquer. You were weak, but yet I looked at you and I set my everlasting love on you. Jeremiah chapter 31, verses two and three, thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. When Israel sought for rest, The Lord appeared to him, appeared to the nation from far away. Notice, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. God is saying, I've loved you with a love that's never going to end. Can you just for a moment just feel it and be thankful for it? That when you're in covenantal relationship with God as your father There is nothing that you can do that'll make him love you more. There's nothing you can do that'll make you love him less or him love you less. You have an everlasting love from God and his love, even though we are unfaithful to him, his love is always faithful and it never ends. Do you know today that God loves you? Do you know that? I hope you'll feel it. But in the very next phrase, a most amazing thing happens. God says, I have loved you. But then he says, but you have said, how have you loved us? Can you believe they said that? Can you believe they asked God that? Come on, moms, just for a minute, get in my world for a second. So here's your child, and you've birthed them into the world, and you've raised them, and you've cleaned up their spit and their slobber and their throw up, and you've changed their diapers, and you've put band-aids on those scratched up knees, and you've helped them through first grade and elementary school and on into middle school, and you've stayed up all night while they had a fever in their body, and you've taken them back and forth to band and ball games and all the other things that we do. And then something happens. I don't know. It it happens to all of us. Something happens when you become a teenager. You just kind of start losing your mind, right? (laughs) Teenagers, it happened to me, okay? So you start figuring the world out and you you, you think you might know more than mom and dad. I'm testifying, okay? I've been there. You're getting older and older. Can you imagine getting to a point of saying to your child... Gosh, I love you. And the child looking at you and saying, okay, give me a list. Just just show me. I want you to tell me. Make a list. Give an account. Prove it. How many of you know that doesn't go over very well? I'm not even going to say what might have happened in my home growing up. Who do you think you are? How ungrateful can you be? I brought you into this world. You're my child. You're my son. You're my daughter. I've given you everything possible. I've I've loved you as much as a parent could love you. And then you want to look at me and say, make a list? How about you just look around? How about you make your own list? How about that? Can you believe, can you believe that God's chosen people, God said, that's what they said, right? He said, you've said to me, how have you loved me? I was listening to a pastor the other day and he said this. He said, at this particular point, you either say, how could they have said that? Or you say, Why do I say that? Tim, what do you mean? Come on. We all go through hard times, right? We all go through troubled times. Anybody in the room ever said, God, are you even there? God, if you love me, why did you take my dad? God, if you love me, why did you take my mom? God, if you love me, how in the world could you let this sickness come in my body? God, if you loved us, why are we struggling to pay our bills? How many of you found yourself at times struggling with life and not being able to see realities because of the mess all around you? Trouble times, Right? Life is filled with trouble. And when we get in the midst of trouble and difficulty, we forget how much God really does love us. God sent you here today for me to tell you that your heart and your affection needs to be set on him. And no matter what you're going through, God loves you unconditionally. He loves you. He hasn't forgotten about you. He hasn't forgotten about me. It's not like I've fallen way down the list. It's not like I was in his email and I disappeared and he forgot about me. No, God loves me. He loves me unconditionally. And he's telling telling the nation of Israel, I've loved you. I've proved it to you. I'm speaking to you. I'm communicating to you. In the text, he talks about Destroying their enemies, the Edomites, which were in the southeast part from Jerusalem out of Israel, the descendants of Esau. I've loved you in that I allowed the Persians to invade the Babylonians. I've allowed you to come back home and set up camp and get back to sacrificing. I've I've proved my love to you. time and time again, God proves his love to us, does he not? I need to take that a step further. When you understand the love of God, you understand verses like Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 6 that says, Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, he corrects. Now, I'm glad to tell you today that condemnation and wrath do not exist for his people. That's what the Bible says, Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There's no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. There's no wrath. There's no condemnation if you're in Christ. But that does not mean that the Lord will not discipline us. He loves us enough to not let us stay where we're at. And he's saying to his people here, I've loved you. Look where you're at. Look what you're doing. Look what you're not doing. You're going through the motions. God is saying to someone in this room today that you came to church to go through the motions, but your heart is far from him. And he's saying, I love you. Now get back over here where you're supposed to be. I've chosen you. I love you. Let me move quickly to my final point. He's speaking to us. He loves us. And this text very clearly shows that he has chosen us. He's chosen us. In this text, we clearly see God's, God's electing love. H- have you ever stopped to think for just a minute? Now, now let's think big picture here. Why did God choose Abraham? Why Abraham? Why didn't God choose Abraham's dad or his grandfather or his great grandfather? Why Abraham? Why did God choose Israel? I read that verse to you just a minute ago. God said to them, I set my heart on you, I love you, and you're puny, you're weak. I could have had a much greater team. I could have had a bigger team than you. How many of you, when you are in school, you were, you'd were, get out on the playground and you'd divide up. You're just going to play kickball, right? And everybody would get out there and we'd pick two team captains and they'd get to pick their team one at a time. I'm here today because I'm bitter that I was always picked last. Okay? I was the guy. I saw a few hands over there. I was the guy, okay, well, Tim, you're on their team, all right? Right? Now, how much fun was that? You know what God says in his word? When I choose people, I go all the way to the end of the line. Read your Bible. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Not many mighty, not many wise, not many noble are called. But I call the weak things of this world, the base things, the inexpensive things. That's who I choose to use. Why did God choose Israel? Why didn't he choose Jordan or Syria or Iraq or Iran or Egypt? He'd had a much bigger team, a much bigger pool to choose from. If you've read and studied your Bible at all, here's what we do. We avoid passages like this and Romans chapter 9. We get nervous talking about it. You know why? Because we don't understand it all. God said, I love Jacob, but I hate Esau. Now, if I was choosing up a team and I was looking at Jacob and Esau, I'll be honest with you, I would have chosen Esau. Because from what I understand about him in the book of Genesis is that he was a burly, tough kind of dude. He was the hunter. He was the one that came home every afternoon with deer blood all over him. Tough guy, hunter. Jacob, the Bible says, stayed close to mama. His mother, Rebecca. Read your Bible. That's what it says. So if I'm looking at the family and I'm going, man, I want to choose the captain for my football team or the leader of my army, I would have chosen Esau, I think. But God reminds you look in your Bible, this is God speaking. God says to his people, hey, don't you remember what I did? Is Jacob not Esau's brother? But I chose him, again, emphasizing The weaker of the two. I chose him, Esau, the father of the Edomite nation. And man, you've got to really do a deep Bible study that we don't have time for today. The scripture very clearly says that the entire Edomite nation, the Edomites were not completely condemned. Read your Bible in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 7 and 8. God very clearly says that we will accept some Edomites in as brothers. Just like don't fall into the trap of some of these TV preachers and book writers that say that because Israel is God's chosen people, then all the Jews are going to heaven. It's not true. If you reject Jesus Christ as the Messiah, you are not going to heaven. I didn't say that. It's what the Bible says. It Doesn't matter if you're Jewish or American or Alabamian or whatever you are. And I say that in grace. You have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who are condemned are those who reject Christ. And everyone that goes to hell, goes out into eternity separated from God, are the ones that reject Christ. But I've got to tell you this because it's biblical. In Baptist churches, when we start talking about election and predestination and some of those words, we all get nervous. And I got to tell you, we need to use those words because they're in the Bible. The problem is many times we have the same vocabulary, but we have a different dictionary. What you see in Malachi chapter one, verses two through five is God's electing love. That theme is throughout the Bible. It's as simple as just saying God chose Jacob. He chose him. Now, here's what I find. Here's what I find. I find two groups of people, really kind of three, but two groups primarily. Over here, we got people that we get nervous talking about election and predestination. I'd rather this name talk about it because I'm nervous. Over here, we've got people that talk about it all the time and they know it all. They've got it all figured out. I mean, I know everything there is to. I, I wrote a paper in seminary. My last paper in seminary, I wrote it. My professor of Southeastern in North Carolina, I, I sent him my topic of writing on election. He sent me back and he said, look, I don't want you to write on that. And I emailed him back. I'm like, I, I want to study this. He said, well, here's what I need to know. He said, most of the students that come into the seminary, they've already got it all figured out and I can't teach them anything. They already know it all. They've got the higher thoughts of God. I said, trust me, I'm from Alabama. I don't have that attitude. I want to learn. But I'm going to tell you something. As I studied and learned, it strengthened my love for the Lord and his grace. So if you can't, for just a minute, all right, if you can't just process the fact that there are people in the world that have never even heard the name of Jesus, but you're sitting in a church today to celebrate his grace in, his, in your life, then you understand God's electing love. That in his plan, he allowed for you and for me to hear the gospel. And he said, I've chosen you from the foundations of the world. I'm looking across this room today and I'm, I'm speaking to a people that made it a priority to get up this morning And come to church. Maybe you're here to see your mama. I don't know why you're here. But you made a point to come to church today. So you've got some understanding of Jesus, the gospel, and the Bible. And you understand that when you get saved, that God changes your heart. He changes your affections. He gives you a new purpose. He gives you a new reason for living. And I think we could all agree... But God doesn't want us to get all tangled up in this world. He doesn't want us to set our affection on things on the earth. But Colossians says we're to set our affections on things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. God wants our hearts to be true to him. Let me tell you how you're going to make it through troubled times. The troubled times in this life as long as you have you're going to make it by setting your heart on him. I get asked often, Hey, what's the top two or three books that you've read? And I have a few, but one of them I would say is the book Crazy Love by Francis Chan. Where Chan writes about God's reckless pursuit. I would tie into that Tim Keller's book on the prodigal God. That's another good book. Where he talks about the real prodigal in Luke chapter 16 is not the son, but it's God, the father. Because prodigal means reckless, lavishly pouring out. And God, our father, has poured out his love on us. (laughs) He has spent his best, Jesus Christ, for us in our redemption. In that book, Crazy Love... Chan writes about how God God in his love pursues us and he saves us and he changes our life sets our affections on him and he makes this statement that God measures our lives by how we love. God measures our life by how we love. God loves us. He pours his love out on us, his grace and his mercy so that we will in turn pour his love out on others. That happens, as the book of Jeremiah says, the heart is desperately wicked, who can know it? That happens when God changes your heart and he sets your affection on him. So I'm gonna ask you and I'm done. I'm gonna ask you a simple question. Is your heart right with God? Is your heart right with God? Is your heart set on him? Is your affection set on him? Do you love him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind? Child of God, that's what it means to be in a covenant relationship with God. There are no plan Bs, Cs, or Ds. There's one plan. Love him. Can we pray together? Am I speaking to someone today who has never repented of your sins? You've never believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. You've never called on the name of the Lord for salvation. Am I speaking to anyone like that today? Tim, I see, I hear, I feel his love. And Christ dying on the cross. John celebrated his baptism today celebrating getting to a point where you know that your life is not headed on the right path you're going your own way and god draws you and brings you over and says no i'm going to save you and yes you have a choice you can reject christ or you can accept christ the holy spirit is speaking to you right now telling you you need jesus and the Bible says, whosoever will may come and drink of the water of life freely. Whosoever will. God in his grace has given you this moment. Is there anybody in the room that would say, Pastor Tim, my heart, I'm not sure about my eternal salvation, and I just want to ask you to pray for me. Is there anybody in the room? I'm not going to embarrass you or walk back to you, but I want to say a prayer for you as we close our service. Would you just slip your hand up? Pastor Tim, would you pray for me this matter of my personal conversion? My salvation is not completely settled. I'm concerned about it. I'm burdened over it. God's speaking to me about it. I don't want you to pray for me. Is there anybody in the room? Pastor, will you pray for me? Anybody? All right. I guess I'm speaking to a majority of people that have a faith relationship with God. Can we all just agree together now that we want to set our affection on him? Can we come into agreement with that church? Church, can we agree that God wants our hearts? He doesn't doesn't have part-time children, okay? You're either a child of God or you're not. And for his children, he wants us to love him. He's already proven his love. He wants us to love him with all our heart, all our soul, and all our mind. Is there any sin in your life I believe that every time we gather, it's decision time. Every time we go to the Word, it's decision time. You've got to decide right now what you're going to do with what you've heard. You're going to fall on your knees and say, God, I've loved the things of this world more than you, and I want to repent of that. God, cleanse my hands, purify my heart. Christian, I'm not the Holy Spirit in your life. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now, right now. Would you pray and respond? God is speaking at each one of the doors. When we walk out in just a minute, we have what we call encouragers. We don't invite people to come forward to pray. We want to give you time for counseling or whatever you need at each one of the doors going up each one of the aisles. We have encouragers standing right beside the door. If you'd like for somebody to pray with you, they'll take you in one of these side rooms and quiet place and open up their Bible and pray with you and help you in any way that they can. Most importantly, if you don't know Christ, don't you go away from here today unsure or unsettled. Settle that matter today. Call on the Lord and be saved. But I'm going to ask everyone to stand, if you would. Just stand to your feet in a moment of reverence and prayer. Just before we go out, I want us just to sing a little chorus of committal to God. It's a song we've sung around here many times, but it goes right along with this text today. Lord, give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. And I hope you'll sing this with me as just a prayer from your heart. Don't let it be a song to close out the service, but let it be a prayer from your heart. All right? Sing it with me. Give us clean hands, give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. Again, give us clean hands, give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. A generation that sees, that seeks Your face, O oh God of Jacob. O oh God, let us be a generation that sees, that seeks Your face, oh God. Jacob. Just the voices. Give us clean hands, give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. Give us clean hands, give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. All God's people said, Let me pray a prayer blessing. Appreciate your prayers. I'll be heading over to Alberta to preach again in just a few minutes. Lord, thank you for these moments. Thank you for the Spirit of God. Thank you for the power of God, the power of the Word of God, how you have so clearly spoken to me from these words. Lord, help us to go out into the world and tell the world of the saving grace of the Lord Jesus to tell people where our hearts are set, that our hearts are set on you. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. As we leave today, I pray that you will bless us and keep us. Lord, make your face shine upon us and be gracious to us. Lift up your countenance upon us. And give us peace. And we pray this in Christ's name. And God's people said. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.